0: Cloud 9 Vodcast. Thank you for being here. Happy Saturday. I hope everybody's having a great weekend. The weather is great. And I am excited because I have the one, the only, author and poet, Elisabetta Panzica. Hi. Well,
1: thank you for that wonderful introduction. And today, I will be sharing a piece from my first novel, and it's called The Atlantean Empire. And to give you a little context, I'm going to start from the middle of chapter one. And this is a scene where the princess is forced to marry somebody that she does not really know and doesn't like. And she's pregnant with the child of somebody else.
0: Oh, wow.
1: Wow. (laughs) Lots
0: of of fun drama. I like it.
1: (laughs) So we're starting in the middle. The temple loomed over them, overlooking the gardens. It was built into the side of the mountain. The sanctuary, supported by two great pillars that extended upward, formed a large pyramid of clear crystal with hundreds of chambers, and today it shone as bright as the sun itself. Mm-hmm. The dance was about to begin. There were 12 maidens, including Sahar. The dance was a form of worship, of surrendering the body to spirit, a way to know oneness with the source. Normally, Sahar loved this dance, but today, it didn't feel right. It didn't feel authentic. The throng of villagers crowded the perimeter of the garden. Hushed voices hung over them and wafted through the iron gate into the main entrance. Where was Nahik? Her breath hitched. Sahar searched for him amongst the guests, listened for a hint for anything that would lead her to him. Inside the garden itself, only the elite gathered, which meant Nahik would be outside. Sahar stumbled midst slide looking behind her and all around. The temple master held a staff over his head, motioning the dancers and Telemetri to follow. Sahar could already hear the drums sounding in the background. Her heart thumped wildly. The maidens began to dance as they proceeded to the altar, single file. The altar sat just to the right of the pool. There was a fountain inside it controlled by pumps and valves choreographed to the music as it began to play. The water reflected and reflected the light of the sun producing a rainbow of colors, Mm -hmm. delighting the guests. Mm -hmm. The maidens danced, losing themselves in the rhythmic beat. Sheets of water lifted behind them, reaching to the height of five men. The drums sounded louder, the maidens twirled and spun, combining dance with breath in order to reach an altered state of consciousness. Sahar joined them, heart pounding, mind racing, unfocused, she fought to surrender but her emotions were all confused, all in and out. She went through the motions, followed the rhythm, but was not consumed by it like the others. Their movements were sensual, evoking the sacred feminine, expressing the true nature of women, beautiful and divine. Above the carpet of green, the maidens swayed, their movements stemming from their hips, their arms and hands drawing the female form, interlaced, all of them barefoot. Mm. The maiden's focus was physical connection to Mother Earth, their feet pounded on the grass, calling Gaia the Earth Mother, their hips shook and formed a figure eight, awakening Shakti, their powerful feminine life force. After some efforts, Sahar finally lost herself in the dance, giving her body to the Divine Mother, twirling and spinning, remaining at the altar, as the others exited. Mm. Capricorn turned and looked back at Zahar, connecting his mind with hers. The dance stopped. Zahar felt her insides turn. The music died. Zahar stood still. Her feet felt like heavy stones as she lifted them. She watched as the other women faded into the background. Mm. She wanted to follow them and just disappear behind the foliage, as they did. Naheed! Zahara's heart cried out for her lover, her childhood friend, and the father of her unborn child. She Mm. loved him. Not this man, Telmetri. She stared at Telmetri's dark blue eyes. They looked almost black. His dark hair locked behind his back, his chiseled face. Yes, he was handsome, but Mm. she did not want him. This was not what she had envisioned for herself. Pregnant? and betrothed Mm. to a stranger? Mm. This couldn't be happening. How had she skipped so many steps and without wanting to? Mm. Wait! Wait, my lady! Anuka elbowed her way through the crowd, milling through the pews placed outside for the wedding guests. Yes? Zahar stared at the girl's Mm. freckled face. Anuka's green eyes flashed back at her. Her long hair fell over her shoulders in two long braids. The color of smoldering flames, red with copper and gold. Mm. What? Sahar worried Capricorn would punish her outburst, or worse yet, release her from her service and excommunicate her. Anuka was her friend. This thing you do today, my lady, it is not for the love of a man. Anuka tipped her head sideways towards Telmitri and lifted her eyebrows. We know it is for the love of an entire people. Her eyes welled with tears. For this noble act, we commend you. The servant girl bowed, lowering to the ground and kissing Sahar's feet. Get up! Don't do that! Sahar whispered, pulling Anuka up by the arm. You're more than that! No, my lady. I am your servant. Anuka dug her knees into the fresh grass and handed Sahar a headpiece, the one she would wear for the union. It was a wreath woven of long green stems and twigs decorated with little white flowers. It was beautiful, delicate, made by a herself. Zahar had seen her preparing it earlier in the kitchen. Thank you. Zahar took the wreath, forcing a smile, eyes pleading, screaming for salvation. Help me. She wanted to blurt out the words, but she couldn't. What would she say? Nothing. There was nothing to say. Mm -hmm. Sahar walked away, commend me, they commend me for what, sacrificing my life, for this, Anuka rose, keeping her head lowered, and walked away, Capricorn bowed, Sahar sighed, somewhere underneath all that ego was a compassionate man, she knew, for it was Capricorn who took her into his care from her mother's deathbed, she owed him everything, Except this, do you have the words prepared? The temple master looked straight at his niece. Mm. Sahar gasped; her heart slammed against her chest like something imprisoned and sentenced to die. She looked at the groom. She didn't have any words. Do you? Capricorn's voice dropped to a whisper. His brows knitted as he reached out to grab her shoulder. His fingers squeezed her hard. No har walked across the grass barefoot, still in her dancing costume. The garden felt cold and unwelcoming. The marble statues all seemed dull, even as the sun's rays bounced off of them. She walked onto the stage. The stone platform felt cool underneath the soles of her feet. She stared down at her hands, posture sagging. Maybe if she didn't show up at the coronation, things would change. If she wasn't queen, she couldn't marry. The wheels in her head began turning. I have the words! Filmetree cried out, raising a hand. He twisted around to look at his mother. Grinning, Vestiva waved a plump hand and smiled. Her eyes widened with excitement. Dark brown hair stacked up on her round head made her look older than she was. She was bursting with ego, happy for herself that her son would soon marry the most influential family in all of Atlantis. Telmitri waved back, producing a papyrus scroll from the side of his robe. Zahar turned to look at the Trillion Queen. He really didn't just do that. Zahar gave. Was he a child? She rolled her eyes. Could things possibly be worse? She hated that Vestiva held so much control that her son could not think for himself. For to take an action without her approval Mm. she wanted to leave and if she was going to run this was the time to do it the heart gulped turning poised to sprint but all eyes were upon her she couldn't run the entire kingdom had come out to witness their wedding she felt like a bird trapped in a cage worse a bird whose wings were clipped and couldn't fly Mm. Capricorn decided early on on um, that the marriage was the best course of action given the situation. But Sahar had not planned to marry, not this soon, and she definitely did not want to marry Telemetri, the Prince of truth She didn't even know him, didn't want to know him, but the marriage had occurred before it was, the marriage had to occur mm-hmm. before it was obvious that she was with child, obvious that it was Mahim's. The dedications will begin now. She was vaguely aware of Capricorn's voice. Booming out into the audience, Sahar fidgeted in her spot, lowering the gaze. Words? She needed words? No one ever mentioned words. Capricorn's steely gray eyes burned into her. His disappointment showed in them. Sahar squirmed. Sahar squinted, rubbing her eyes. Perhaps this was just a dream, a bad one. She pinched her arm, but nothing happened. She pinched harder, leaving a mark. Still nothing. She was still at the altar in a wedding gown, only her cheeks were tinted a rosy pink. Everyone was staring, open mouthed, eyes wide. My lady? Pelmitri lifted her hand and kissed the back of it, confused. What are you doing? Sahara avoided his eyes. She wiped her hand off with a flap of lace that fell over her shoulders. His kiss felt like a hot iron on her delicate skin, and she pulled her hand back, tucking it under her gown. A toast! A voice shouted, "To the princess and the prince!" Zahar's mm-hmm. eyes shifted nervously. Her grandmother had a way of entering the scene unexpectedly. Zahar's lips curved a little at the corners. He was glad Miaka had arrived. The high priestess raised her walking stick into the air, slamming her goblet onto the ground. The crowd fell silent all around her. Nyaka was respected throughout the island continent and feared. At her command, the sky above them rumbled, and the day became night. A herd of black clouds rolled in out of nowhere embracing a full yellow moon as it hung over the temple, like a lantern. Its dim glow illuminated the garden as it began to fall, gently at first, then becoming a steady shower, drenching the master and the bridegroom. Zahar grinned, magic was at work. She could smell it all around her. She stared at her grandmother, eyes pleading for deliverance. If the gods had not come to her rescue, then maybe, Miyaka had. Grandmother had been against the union from the beginning and she was making no effort to conceal it. I hope you drown. Zahar could read Miyaka's lips as she whispered into her uncle's ear. Zahar suppressed a laugh, noticing Capricorn's smile fading, his gray eyes widening. Miyaka tightened her grasp on her walking stick and shook it vigorously over her head, stomping across the grass. Her free hand Curling into a fist. Rain poured harder, destroying the festive decor. And I'm going to stop there.
0: <laughs> wow, and, thank you so much. That is so amazing. It, it, that's in the middle of the book. So, you know, that it sounds like it's, you know, so how many pages is it um, total? This book yeah.
1: is actually 200 okay. and. 57 pages.
0: Perfect, perfect. That's a really good number. And then there are, uh, it's part of a trilogy?
1: It's part of a six book series. Six I have book four series. Books
0: out. Oh. oh, okay. And gotcha. I have,
1: this is book one. Okay. This is book
0: two, Final Days.
1: Oh. And book three takes place in the future. Nice. This is the heart, the same girl, but okay. in the future, reincarnation of the Atlantean perfect. Queen. As you can see, the time travel element, she's hanging on to the clock. And then these are the reincarnated Atlanteans. Okay.
0: Okay. Cool. And
1: the the story goes that after Atlantis falls, in this book, they go into Egypt. And this is why Egypt begins at such a high level of civilization, Mm -hmm. because Atlanteans brought this knowledge to them. But they Mm -hmm. took it back because the people at that time were not able to use that knowledge in a way that was beneficial to mankind. So going forward 10,000 years into the future, this young woman is a college student in an archaeology class that goes to Egypt on a field trip, and they go to an archaeological find, and in the pyramid they discover their own bodies. They discover parts of Atlantis hidden in the pyramid. Mm. Then she finds her own tomb. And that becomes a place, that tomb, where they travel back and forth in time. And Mm. she goes, they go back and forth throughout the book. And towards the end, this all takes place in modern day times. Mm with these college students returning back to the United States and the for And then there's all these catastrophes happening. Mm-hmm. And in a local city here in California called Rancho Santa Margarita, mm-hmm. there is sort of a vortex. Mm-hmm. It's called Saddleback Mountains. And, I, and they kind of, sort of, really do look like the pyramids in Egypt. Mm-hmm. So I kind of connected the two. And as California is falling and all this destruction, they go back to Egypt and they try to fix things so that their world will not end. But it's kind of complicated. And the love affair continues. It's the same characters reincarnated. It's the same people, different names, different bodies as this two books.
0: You are amazing. Oh 15 minutes is just not enough with you. You have got to come back on and read us some more. That was amazing. A book read by Thank the author. You. Thank you so much. Um, I'm sorry we're out of time, but I've had so much fun. And, you know, the, um, your Amazon link is in the description. So if anybody wants to look at all of her amazing books, please do so and purchase them. Kindle, Vela, the whole thing. Thank you. Thank you so much, and you have a, a blessed rest of the day. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for watching and listening, Bye. Pink Cloud Nine podcast. Have a great rest of the weekend.